All right. So today we're going to do the lesson in the book on page 30. It's the one on avoiding clicks. It's actually the last lesson in the section on divisions. So maybe the, the, the way the study guide's broken up is by the various problems. So next, we're going to end the problem on divisions and then move on to the next one on sex and lawsuits. Now, I combined them because Paul actually bounces back and forth. There's a reason for that. Uh, the, oh, if you need a, a study guide, let me know. We can get you one. I just checked. There's a, there was one little lonely book sitting in a box, and then there's another box. So we open the other box because people will not take the last book, right? That's a, that's a thing. Well, it's not the last book, so you're fine if you want one. So if, if you need one, raise your hand. Okay. If you're too shy and you want one, they're in the box in the back. Last time we talked about divisions, and we in particular talked about the issue where divisions happen, and it's not really on a doctrinal issue. Sometimes it looks like it's a doctrinal issue, and actually I think there's something else going on there. The, and the thing that I have noted was just be aware of those things that are not really the issue, but are related to the issue. Uh, one thing is, I had some discussions with some people afterwards. It is important to know, we did focus on the ones where we're, not, we're saying it's not really the issue. I mean, there are legitimate issues where people have to go the separate ways. Okay, when we get to chapter 5, Paul's going to say, this guy has his father's wife. Yeah, he can't. This is not going to work. Okay, so there is a line. We tended to focus on the other side, which is when it's not really on the issue. Although many of the same things that we talk about could apply to both situations, but there's other factors involved when it is actually a real doctrinal issue. The other thing I wanted to point out was a point of clarification. Back in chapter two, we talked about eloquence, and I've talked to several people about that, and I think there might be a misperception where people might think that what we're saying here is that it's not good to be eloquent. And I think the right way to think about this is that there's really two types of eloquence Paul's referring to. Because in the same chapter, he also talks about two different types of wisdom. Okay, when he says we have this, what we accept is foolishness, he means in the world's eyes. He's not actually saying it's foolishness. Because he goes on and says, actually, the cross of Christ is the wisest thing we've ever seen. He said that words, but it kind of is what he's saying. So there's two different types of wisdom. There's a, there's a view of the world on it, and its view on wisdom, and then there's the view, in our view, as a follower of Jesus. And I think that applies to eloquence, too. So there's good and bad eloquence. So bad eloquence would be like someone who is more focused on trying to say the right things because they're worried about making themselves look good, bringing away to themselves. Remember, Paul talks about how people are building themselves up. That would be a bad form of it. Another bad form would be style over substance, right? And that can be a problem both on the speaker and on the listener where they can't accept a good substantive lesson if it's not delivered in a particular style. Right, and that might be what's going on with the whole division between Apollos and everybody else. People are picking them based on style. The good type of eloquence, I think, would be where you're, you really want to bring glory to God. And so you want to be a master of your craft and how you speak to make it easier for other people. Well, I think that's clearly in Scripture, too. Apollos is described as being an eloquent man. And they're not like, how dare you be an eloquent man, right? That's not how that goes. They actually mean that in a positive sense. So... I think that's probably the best way to look at it. Just try to figure out, he's talking about the good part, he's talking about the bad part. Any questions or comments on any of that? Are you all got no comments on that? Okay. So with that said, we're gonna, Jesse's gonna lead us in a prayer and then we'll get started. 
with us as we study our clicks tonight. Give us wisdom in determining what is beneficial for, uh, for the body of Christ. And bless our study. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story that's told from the perspective of a little girl. And this little girl is sitting in school one day, and the principal opens the door and brings in another little girl. And the principal explains that this, this other little girl's name is Maya, and she's just coming to the school. And the girl, Chloe, who's sitting there seeing this happen, she notes that Maya's clothes are ragged. And even though it's winter, she's wearing more like spring shoes, and that one of the straps on the shoes is broken. And so Miss Albert gets up and she tells the class that to say hello to Maya. And she says, some of them said hello, but most of us stayed silent. The only empty seat was next to Chloe. And so the teacher, Miss Albert, brings the student and puts her right next to me in the story. And Maya looks at me, and the story says, she smiled at me, but I did not smile back. And instead, I looked out the window, watched the snow, and moved a little farther away. Every day, she, in the, when they would play outside, she said, my best friends that year were Kendra and Sophie. And so we would go out there and we would play, whispering secrets to one another with our fingers laced together. One day, Maya came over to us, and she opened her hand, and she had, her hand was full of little shiny jacks and a little tiny red ball. And Maya explained that it was her birthday. She wanted to play with us, but we didn't want to play with her. One day in spring, Maya came in, and she had this nice new dress, which was unusual for her, and she had nice new shoes. But they realized the dress didn't quite fit, and so they realized that she got her clothes from a second-hand store. Kendra said we should call her Never New, because she never wears new clothes. Eventually, she stopped even asking to play with her. Next day, Maya's seat was empty. And the teacher came in, Miss Albert, and she said, Gather around, everybody. I want to I teach you a lesson. And she had this big bowl of water. And she dropped a pebble in it. And the waves spread out and rippled out. And she said, each act of kindness that you do sends out ripples into the world, and you don't know how far those will go. And so she hands the stone to another student. And the student explains something that they did that was kind and drops the pebble in. And as it goes by, each student goes through and says something. And in the story, she says, even mean old Andrew, the bully, had something positive to say. But then she handed the stone to me, and I sat there, and I thought, and I thought, and I thought, and I couldn't think of anything. And then Miss Albert said, well, even small things count. She said, I couldn't think of anything. And so she just hung her head in shame and passed it to the next student. But then she said, the next time that Maya smiles at me, I'm going to smile back. But the next day, Maya's not there. And the next day after that, and the next day after that. And finally, Miss Albert tells us that Maya's not coming back because she had moved. And so she's walking home that day from school that afternoon, and she walks past this pond, and what she often does is throw stones into the pond. So she's throwing stones in the pond, as she usually does. And she sees the ripples come out from the water. And she thinks about that lesson. And all the things that she had planned to say to Maya, but would now no longer have the opportunity to say all of the, each act of kindness that I had never shown. And she said it was those, the ripples from the pebbles were just like each kindness done and not done. Like every girl somewhere holding a small gift out to someone and that someone turning away from it. 
I read this book several years ago, and Elise and I were going through these list of books that had won awards. I think it was Newbery Awards. And when you read kids' books, you realize they fall into a very similar pattern. They're usually happy, and, or they have humor in it, or both. And we got to the, rest of the, the end of this book, and I turned to the last page, and I was shocked. That was the ending. But I, I thought, sure, there was going to be some ending where she, she sees the moving truck, and she meets up with Maya, and she apologizes, and then they become pen pals or something like that. It doesn't. Right? When you write stories, you're supposed to build tension, and then you release it at the end. But this author builds the tension, and then just leaves you hanging on it. And, and children, children books don't usually do that. And I was thinking of this story recently because I was studying the topic we were ta- going to talk about tonight, which is clicks. And I went and I actually I read papers written by psychologists and sociologists who studied this. And the more that I read it, the more I realized that this author of this book had really had a good understanding of this. And my first thought was, well, maybe she had read some of these things, and that's why she included some of these attributes in the book. And then my second thought was, I bet that's not the case. Where she wrote about this because she felt it happened to herself. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how do we avoid clicks. Now this is, in many ways, I think this is similar to divisions, but there's some key differences. And I, I went back and forth on whether or not to break this out as a separate lesson. And the reason I, I struggled with that is because I thought, well, aren't divisions really just kind of like a click in a different form? But when I thought about the type of things that are solutions, they're definitely overlaps. So when we talk about this, don't worry about trying to distinguish between solutions that would work for clicks but are not applicable to divisions. I think there's a lot of overlap here. But I also think there's a lot of similarities here, or a lot of things that are different with clicks too. And the other thing too is that, depending on how you define clicks, I don't even think clicks, in a certain sense, depending on how you define it, are necessarily sinful. It just depends on what you're talking about here. Because I don't think what you should do is just expect that every Christian will have the same type of relationship with every other Christian. And I remember being part of a congregation, and, and this woman was very upset about this. And she kept saying, there's clicks. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And, and what she was talking about, she wanted to just smoothen it all out, where everybody had the same relationship. But that's, that gets really weird real fast. Okay, I should have a closer relationship with my wife than other men with my wife. Okay, that's just how this goes. And so you can't just smoothen all of it out. And so that, her view in that case actually caused more division-like thinking, actually, more click-like thinking. But I do think there's somewhere in the middle, though, where we could work together better and maybe have more of those connections than we do with other people. So how do we, how do we break down some of those connections and have some of those more interactions with each other? So that's what I want to talk about today. The... Tony, I already got a question I didn't ask for. That's great. <laughs> okay. Paul talks about that to the Galatians, right? 
that uh, he says here, they zealously court you, but for no good. They want to be, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. And it's, it just feeds into that. So it's one thing for me to say, well, you're bad because you're in a clique. And you may be, and they, they form over um, common interests and common goals and common commonality between people is just cliques become, they, they turn and it becomes either malicious or exclusionary for the purpose of keeping it pure. You know, we don't want those people for us because then we're not special anymore. We let everybody in. Like a key man woman who just thought, you know, the rascal. But then you have not just that you can a clique, but that I'm always seeking to be part of the clique. And I give them power by always, by being zealous for them. And so you rob them of that power. And if that's actually formed, you rob them of that power by, I don't want to be part of your anyway. But even if it's not, like you're not trying to exclude yourselves, just the fact that I perceive it because I just, I gotta I got have it, I gotta have that. I'm, I'm defeating myself because I'm always in that competition as opposed to, I can't, can't be satisfied with the things that I have because I'm always looking for something different. And that applies all over the world for all sorts of things. I don't, I'm not married, so I, I gotta be part of the married group. I don't have kids, so I gotta be part of the married kids. I, my kids aren't old enough, so I gotta vote long enough to become part of that group, and that group is always moving past you. Uh, and so whatever it is, and so, yeah, I shouldn't form a clique myself. Uh, I should be careful of that and be more open to other people, you know, not walling myself off, but then also not, not being satisfied or always, always longing for what I don't have. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, what was the C.S. Lewis book you said? Um, it's a short article. Inner ring, or okay. request for the inner ring. It's uh, just a couple of pages. It's really good. Uh, yeah, I, I thought you said inner ring. I'm like, I just got that. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And there's a line. This is where it depends on how you define clicks, too, because what you said is that there's a line where it can become exclusionary. And nothing you said that really landed with me too was the fact that. I, the clicks can form on both sides, and sometimes the people who are saying there's a that that there are cliques, in them, they actually just want to be in that inner clique, which is just the same, it's the same thing. And I remember somebody who was saying how they were really worried, like, there's all these cliques. And so I made an effort to go talk to that person. Turns out, I wasn't the kind of person they wanted to talk to. And I, the relationship just got really awkward after that. And somebody actually told this person, you know, you complain about cliques because that person hasn't talked to you. How many times have you talked to them? And he had to admit it was zero. Mitch? Yeah. Don't worry about that. Just go with it. The underlying issue there is we are trying to find our identity in something. And any time that we do not get our identity through Christ and the cross, then we're always going to be wanting the next thing. When we can be satisfied with our identity in Christ, then we have could it not be said that seeking anything other than Christ in your identity is idolatry? 
right? I think that's the root of it. And it's weird because you can take these good things and then you can take them too far. And that's what makes it hard because we can't say, we're just going to reject all these things. Some of these are good things, but you can always take them too far unless they're rooted in the right way. Yeah, it's a good comment. Any other comments? But don't worry about trying to fit it into the framework. I mean, I have this nice little schedule, but I think the best classes are the one we just throw it out and we just do it. <laughs> so have a plan, but be ready to throw out the plan. Okay. Why do you think cliques form in churches? thing is about that, because I was thinking about could it not be some, again, it depends on how you define clicks, but that there's in a certain sense maybe good clicks too. I mean, it makes sense for you to go be with somebody who's being in the same life situation, struggling with the same problems, and talk about that back and forth. I mean, I mean she's, she talks about the class that she has with a bunch of the women on Genesis, and I keep saying, I think I want to be part of the class. I love the discussion. I'm not going to show up because that would be super awkward, but I, but I think that's healthy, though, to have those connections too. Jesse? I think it's what makes this tricky because there's a line where it crosses, but it's hard to know exactly what that is. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Uh, Alan? I've seen doctrinal texts where it's a hobby. Some, somebody's writing and others join in, and it's because of their, their doctrinal hobby they like. And it's not usually a good thing. Okay, that's interesting because I like the way you put it, like what they call it people getting on their hobby horse. We should talk more about that. Alan? Or, I'm not sorry, Alan. Josh?
Yeah, it's interesting. I think the mic died. Yeah, just unplug it. Oh, would you want the? No, I didn't know it looked like that. He's going to hook me up. See, there's going to be... Step up here for a moment. Oh, I could do that. OK. I'll do that. That way there's less pressure on my You know, it's funny you made the, the point, Josh, because I was thinking about it, too. Now. Simple things like environment. When we first started coming to Avon, we were nomads, so we just sit everywhere. And partially because we didn't, there wasn't a whole lot of rules. You kind of had to just and see, maybe you got sick of kids, maybe not. We're towards the kitchen in the mess, too. And we've been doing less of that, in part because I can't remember where we're supposed to sit in the menus and stuff. So we've, we've moved away from that. But I can totally, I can totally say that there's been people I haven't talked to as much because I'm getting Okay, cool. Thanks. All right, uh, Nina. That's why I struggle with that word def- click. It's like, what do people mean? Some will say it's bad, some people say it's good. It's like, well, it depends on your definition. I agree, there should be, in a certain sense, no clicks. Just to make a good point, how the thing is, when we get to, especially when we get to later in First Corinthians, how we have different gifts. And that's part of what makes this a little difficult, because he's not saying there should be absolute sameness. There's, a, there's an appropriate sameness, and then there's appropriate difference, too. So, the, you know, how do we work that out? Uh, yes? Yeah, so that's interesting because there it isn't like we're 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 very comfortable being with people who are like minded, and yeah, maybe we should talk about that more too. Safety in it, yes. And so we are challenged, and I'm challenged, 
to go outside my comfort zone and seek out others that I've not spoken with, to greet others I've not met. And um, having that ability to do that, you're walking that, others may see that, and want to do that too. Jesus spoke with others that were not comfortable, and certainly were not comfortable speaking with others either. So, um, and I like the fact that, yes, we gravitate to what's comfortable, and I've also watched a young uh, family with young children reach out to other individuals who are single. Um, so, and that's helpful in, in so many ways to blend and to mix. It doesn't have to be um, overly thought, you know, what is your mindset about that? But if we stretch ourselves and become more comfortable, comfortable about being uncomfortable, then less isolation will happen. Yeah, I, you went where I was going to go, so it's perfect timing. Be, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. There was something Stephanie actually said, I think a few cl- classes ago, after class, if I remember right. And she was talking about how when we have these discussions in class, one of the, the great power that comes with it is the fact that you have people who, who have been Christians for many, many decades. And for them, a lot of the issues that we go through, are they're roads that are well-worn paths for them. But that only works when we learn from them, and that, that only learning from them when we have these intergenerational connections, too. Yes, Bob? The word click is one of those words that immediately uh, gives you some emotional feelings that are usually negative. If you said we should be friends with our brothers and sisters, everybody would have looked at we should be friends with our brothers and sisters. We should be close friends with them. Yes, we should be close friends with them. And so earlier, and so definitions might be in order, but you know, you might use a different word as well. And uh, you know, the question about what can lead to this, um, uh, one of the places that I used to worship, uh, a lot of my family was there. And we didn't see each other so much during the week, but we always saw each other on Sunday and Wednesday. So we got, I don't know who, okay, Josh. And then. Thank you. 
I, I totally agree with that. It's, words are hard, and, I, and I, I always call you the chief etymologist, because if you want to know the history of the word, ask Josh. He'll either know, or Cecilia, you're smiling because you know what I'm talking about, or he'll find out. But it's hard because you can say, well, don't use the word clip. Well, then use exclusionary. Well, actually, like you pointed out, exclusionary is not always bad either. Mitch. Yeah, and you know, this is one of those things where the, the truth is that we are at different levels. So the fact that somebody feels like they're at a different level than somebody else can actually be right. So we got Jesse, Leanne, or, and Rissa. I don't know what order that was, but go ahead, Jesse. Mitch kind of covered that up. If you kind of dissect what Paul is addressing, like address or are dissected clicks that are occurring there, right? And you can kind of see some of those. I am of this individual, I am of that individual, out of the sense of self-righteousness or pride, the motivation behind that, right? That, that, that is where it seems like it crosses the line. This is a very good point, because this also is how you define wisdom. And also, Anne-Marie had a, her hand up. Uh, and in So it defines how you define wisdom. It defines how you define eloquence. It's like you put pride, you take something and you add pride, it make, it's just bad after that, right? And that's what we're talking about, the bad versions. So, Rissa? I think that's absolutely dead on. And this is why it's so important. If you feel like there's a click with somebody, try to get involved with it. Right? See what happens. Uh, you might be surprised. They may let you in just fine. Mike, and then, actually, no, you've got to follow order, Mike. We're not doing the whole spouse thing this time. That was last week. Okay. <laughs> Go Bob is a, Bob's, the Surratt's are technically family.
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And in fact, this person who was complaining, that there were, one of the people who was complaining that clicks in the church, that I tried to engage with him, and it turned out he just really wasn't that interested. He later split the church. So I think that there, and when I think back on it, it's like there were arguments that he would bring up, and I, it just, they were just very weird. It's one of those things where it's like, how would he hold this very strange view, which seems to be flatly contradicting the scripture? And then when I think back on it, I realized there was something else going on there, and it was really the pride, I think, it was part of it, and it's just harder to see at the time. Mike? So when I saw this question, it made me think of a variation of the question, because I think I've seen this in my lifetime, um, whether I've been a part of it or not, but don't we also need to guard against the church becoming a click? Okay. I, I wanna, we want to avoid the church becoming a click. What do you mean by that? Well, it just seems that sometimes I think that we we see attitudes or we develop and we form attitudes that our church is exclusionary. Our church is the only one that's really 100% right. Our church, if you're not part of our church, you're really not part of the kingdom of God. And I think we have to be careful to guard against that because if that's the case, then it kind of goes to an article that I think Yeah, you know what's weird is that I think sometimes we can engage in that click-like attitudes by constantly talking about the other churches down the road and criticizing them. That's not our business. And I'll tell you that I, I was trying to figure out what's different at Avon. And so I actually spent some real time on this. And I had several conversations with you trying to narrow it down. And actually, it was a conversation with Mitch. There was one. I was like, I, I feel like I had my finger almost on it, but I can't really simplify it. And I explained it to him. And he said, Luke, the word you want is autonomy. And then he said, he said, autonomy is one of those things you have to fight for. But what he meant by that is that also means us staying out of other people's business. We're just, we're not going to get involved. We're not going to criticize. Because you know what? It's not our business, usually. And now there's, you know, there's maybe some exceptions where we need to know about something happening, some kind of false document, fine. But it gets really easy to get too involved and start worrying about people that we don't even talk to, right? We've got enough problems in our own lives. Let's, let's work on that. Who else has a mic or has a hand raised? Yeah. Um, so I think one reason why I did form a church is because they're very natural to Like they, they, yeah. they just remember experimenting where they're trying to find like, what's the maximum number of people that can do certain things at once. And so I think what they found is the max people who can have a single conversation is I think it was about six. And then it was the maximum of people who can perform a single task altogether is 30. And the max In fact, I've read studies, and I think I've probably read the same one you're talking about. And I read, there's an article in The Atlantic that I just read 
today, actually, and it was talking about friendships and how many people have, have real close friendships. And they said, most people report only having about three real close friendships. Now, my guess is people in the church would probably report a higher number, but I don't think they're reporting 150 really close. I don't think you can do that, which is why we can't just smoothen it all out and say you have to have the same relationship with everybody. That's just an unwinnable solution, in my view. Yes? Yeah, really, it's, it's about considering what we are what we should be to each other. We are all members of the same body. Um, even Paul referred to himself and to Timothy as fellow workers. He, he didn't put a kind of hierarchy on himself over Timothy. We're all doing, we're all doing work. Um, and so, why do I think sometimes for I think we, we mentioned it earlier, but sometimes it's the roles that we've been given. There are elders, there are deacons, there are preachers, um, you know, coming from a family of preachers, I was a preacher's kid for most of my, my childhood. There is a tendency at times to set the preacher and their family to create a clip for them. And then there's the membership. So we, we come and the preacher does for us what we need from him. But then we are the, the members and he's, he's a fellow worker. He's, you know, he's a part of the body just like we are. Um, and so sometimes we create cliques for other people, and, and we shouldn't. We're, we're all equal. Yeah, I agree. And that's why you really have to look at it on both sides, because what was the comment earlier about how we've got to be careful when we start assuming these are the cliques and assuming how they work, because it may be a clique in our own mind. And unfortunately, I have noticed that dynamic, where even preachers are saying, like, don't put me on that pedestal. People still put them on that pedestal and treat them as different. You know, and this, that fixes, I think, a lot of problems, too, because sometimes, <clears throat> because we have this implicit, the preacher's on a pedestal type stance, if we're in a church of 150, we ignore the other 149 people, and we're like, well, I just, you know, I don't really like the sermon. It's like, listen, I'm, I get it, okay, maybe, and maybe even you're right, okay, maybe I'll even agree, but 149 other people is part of the congregation, too. That's got to somehow factor into the equation. All right. Any other hands, or should we move on to solutions? We kind of already have done that a little bit. All right. Uh, let's jump. How long we got? Ooh, we got 10 minutes. I mean, 30 minutes. <laughs> okay, let's. What are some solutions? How can we avoid falling into these traps? Or if you want to about any of the other questions, because obviously I'm only kind of following the plan here. Jesus radically redefines the family. And we have to remember that and then really try to live that out. It's, we have to get a little uncomfortable. One of the things I, I love that my parents did was that when we had holidays, they a lot of times would include people who they knew didn't have family in the area. 
And those people, it's weird how much it affected them. Like they really felt like they're part of the family. It's still tight knit. We, they didn't invite everybody, but but they really felt like they were part of a family, part of something bigger. Ryan and Bob. I don't know who goes. You guys are gonna have to arm wrestle over it. I guess I'm gonna say Bob. Agree. I think that's more than half the problem or half the solution right there is just being aware of it. Right. I think spending um, one-on-one time interacting with people that I'm not totally comfortable with is very helpful. Um, could be people in different life stages than me, different background than me. Maybe even most of all in the first place, just people who seem to operate in different ways than me. Who just you know look at the same things as me and just come away with different I strongly agree because it's like how many times when you, you you kind of assume because you sort of see some things you kind of assume things about a person and then you meet them and it's it's like oh wow I was totally totally wrong and I remember my brother telling the story how this wasn't in the church it was at work and there's this woman who had she had really short hair and he made all these assumptions he thought she was well cuts like you know super liberal far left she was wearing pantsuits and so he made all these assumptions one time he was talking about shooting and he's like oh no talked about shooting. She's going to be upset. She's like, oh, I love target shooting. He's like, what? And she starts talking about her guns. And I, he's like, he's like, I even told her, he's like, I totally called you wrong. <laughs> you know, we make assumptions and we don't realize that those assumptions wind up being barriers in some cases. Josh.
I 100% agree. In fact, it's like, did you read the top of my lesson plan, which has a little, <laughs> that's exactly what the objective is here. Okay, I see Brad and Alan. I'm going to go Alan first. Brad, do you have a mic already? Okay. So, Alan wins. My, my mother used to say, get around the room. You know, when you come to services, get around and talk to people. Try to get around as many as you can. And, and talk to as many people as you can. Now, not everybody's comfortable and they need their little groups. But I know from our own age, it was go talk to sister so-and-so, go talk to her so-and-so. You get around to those old folks, you get around to everybody. And that's something I do. I, I just feel like I've got to get around. I don't always feel like it, and it's not necessarily everybody's personality, but that's what she used to say, get around the room. Yeah, good point. And, and I think it's important to know, too, different people have different skill levels of that, too. And there's multiple solutions for that. Like, I've heard of people who have... This, it almost sounds clickish until you realize it's not. They almost have, like, a best friend in the church. Not best friend in the exclusionary sense. But they can... As a, if somebody has, which is difficult for them to start those conversations, if you have somebody else you can go do it with, sometimes it makes it easier. So you can use that as an approach, too. That's not clickish because you're actually using it to not be exclusionary. Brad? Uh, as we work with the kids at the summer camp, uh, ages 9 to 18, clicks are a huge problem that uh, we have to continually uh, reach against. And we have to talk to our counselors. We have to say, hey, we, we are building a culture of Inclusion and uh, always looking out for those that are kind of on the fringe. We talk to our older campers and we talk to them about, you know, looking around, not just being standing in a circle talking to your friends, but opening that circle up and continuing to uh, find the people that are looking there. And then we just tell everybody, hey, this is a normal feeling. As you walk in this camp, you don't know anyone. How do you feel included? This is a normal feeling. We are a camp that's open and inviting, and we hope you find it. And so just recognizing the problem and teaching your older and more wise people to be looking out for that problem helps out. Yeah, and I've noticed that at camp. I mean, you can see that. And actually, if you guys at the camp meeting recently, she was telling me some of the stuff, and it's clearly there's a lot in there to do this click-busting. And also, I think overall, Yvonne generally does a pretty good job at this. Like, there was somebody new, and I, I stood in line to try to meet them. I never got to meet them because there was a line, and I was too far back. So I generally, I think we do a pretty good job. When I first started coming here, I felt, I felt what you're feeling, not just at camp. I felt it here, too. Who has... Yes, Tom. Uh, just a couple things in the bicycle. You're going to be mm-hmm. a little bit about yourself. You know, you have been talking to me a lot, Tony. I don't know if that's a sign. But, you know, that, that, that's really helped me over the years. Of trying to see people outside of what I feel like. I just need, I need their help as opposed to looking out to people. Like, I didn't have an older kid that took an interest in me when I was growing up because there were not. 
My closest friends at church were 50 years old or older because we were small groups. But didn't prevent me to go, I didn't need, I didn't need the little kids at Mick Tool. But they needed, they needed me. And it's made a big difference for them because then you see them going and doing the same thing for one another. The other thing is that you're always invited to your own party. That we're always worried, I'm always worried about not being invited to that thing. But if I would be invited, I thought I'm already doing it. But also, just to, to tweak that just a little bit, to include what Ryan was saying, that try not to make those always just big things that they have to have a lot of people to, because when everybody's invited, and nobody's so special. And so if you, if you seek out one individual, or just two individuals, that makes it feel important. It doesn't feel like they're just lost in another mix of people that they already feel lost in themselves. You wanted them. Not everybody else, you wanted them. Yeah, a very good point. So that's a great place to end on. So don't seek people you need. Seek people who need you. That was the second bell, right? There's a third bell? All right. All right. Thanks, y'all.